I remember the day that we finished our last pilot run and actually this might have been the first production. And I remember I left the facility at five in the morning after I spent 24 hours there. And I call Ian on my drive and I just like start crying. I'm like, we're finally done. We did it. And he's like, girl, what are you talking? We haven't even started. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really thrilled to have Margaret Wishingrad on with me as a guest today. And Margaret is the co-founder and CEO of Three Wishes. So welcome to the podcast, Margaret. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Christy. Would you just give a little bit of background on Three Wishes and, and also on you? Sure. So Three Wishes is a better for you brand. And the Three Wishes name is Two things. It was the three wishing grads, although there are now four of us, but when there were three when we started it, and it was the three things we really wanted to change about cereal, which was we wanted to have a cereal with high protein, low sugar that was gluten and grain free. So those are our three wishes for cereal. And my background is my husband and I also have an advertising agency here in New York called Big I Wish. And so we're, we're marketers that uh, jumped to the other side and now created a brand. First of all, you're the first person from an agency that I've had on that has done this. And I think it's interesting because it feels, and I've thought about it a lot too, it feels almost like a no-brainer because you have so much knowledge on how to market something, but I bet you it's not as much of a no-brainer as that. So there must be a lot more. No, yeah. So different. Yeah. And it's so funny because I think for everyone, and this is any industry, it's grass is always greener, right? You're in the service industry, you're like, oh, I wish I had a product of my own. You're on the product side and you're like, oh my God, it is so much easier doing someone else's brand. But yeah, we feel so lucky that we've been able to work with amazing founders and leaders in the companies that we've helped grow. And I think that firsthand experience and watching the mistakes that others have made have probably saved us from a couple of wounds that we you know, could have gotten along the way. But it's really different. And I think for me, what's interesting is my role in the agency where my husband is, very traditional advertising, came up on the copywriting and account side, and it made a lot of sense there. I was definitely, how do we operate and optimize the agency? So I think that same side of my brain was applied here in the brand, where it was like, how do I optimize and you know create a product? And how do I commercialize? All those fun things that are super important. How do you balance, or is there any such thing as balance? Are you still running the agency the way you guys were? It sounds like two full-time jobs. Founding a brand is more than a full-time job. So, yeah, it's funny. So Ian and I really divide and conquer. I am 3 million percent on Three Wishes now, and he balances still the agency and Three Wishes. But everything's just like intertwined with one another where I can't help myself sometimes. And I'll hear him on the phone with a client and like, shut up. And I'm like, no, Ian, what do you think about this idea? And I just can't help it. And and the same, you know, the reverse where like I was doing a call in the car the other day and it has nothing to do with Ian's area of expertise. And he just had to, you know, chime in. So I think they all bleed into one another, but we love what we do. And I think that's the big key to all of it, right? You know, whether I'm, I'm up at 10 o'clock at night, you know, six in the morning, 
2 p.m. It's cliche to be like, it doesn't feel like work when you do what you love, but it's true. There's so much heart and passion that is just really fun. And it, it bleeds into family. It bleeds into work all the time, but it's a, it's a really fun time. What made you guys decide to start the brand? Like, what was the point where you were like, let's just do it? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think we always wanted to, to have our own brand. I think naturally when you work on other products yeah. that you want to do it yourself. But I think for us, it was really the importance of identifying a true problem. We all see, we're like, oh, Airbnb, Casper Mattress, Warby Parker, wish I thought of that. Yeah. But for us, it was, we really came across what felt like a real problem in our own lives that we wanted to solve. And we felt that so many other people felt that way. And that was kind of the beginning of, hey, maybe we should do this. And so for us, when Ellis, our now five-year-old, but when he was six months old, one of the recommendations for introductory first finger foods was cereal. Yeah. And I didn't like anything that was in the market. I was mind blown to see it was still the stuff I grew up on, which is not Mm -hmm. good for you. And I thought that was a really interesting white space and and a real problem that all these other amazing foods have taken a modern, clean approach. And cereal is still legacy cereal. And so that's when I turned to Ian and said, let's do the damn thing and let's create our own product that really is the intersection of, of actually truly healthy, of delicious, of quick and easy on the go breakfast that I'm excited to consume myself, feed to my child, all the things. And he was crazy enough to say, yeah, we should do that. And so that was the, the early beginnings of making the decisions to jump to the other side. And then, you know, along the way, there are a million different lessons of what it's like to have a brand versus work on a brand. But yeah. So talk a little bit about how you got started. Like, what did you actually do? What was your process? Yeah. So once we identified what the, and I think we took such a, like a marketing approach to it, like create the brief, identify the problem, lay out the strategy, like all of those things. And so for us, we identified, okay, the problem is there is no truly healthy cereal. And then it was, what's the solution, right? What is this little sandbox we want to build for ourselves to play in? What are the things that are important to me as a mom? What are the things that are important in the experience with cereal, whether it's the crunch, the soap, the packaging, the flavors, all of those little things. So the initial thing for us is we made a million phone calls. It was, hey, we have all these friends in the food space. You know, let's start figuring out who can make a cereal. How do you make a cereal? And you learn along the way that there's a reason that it's a really high barrier entry. It is a really difficult thing to formulate. It is a very difficult thing to produce. And there is no real like mom and pop and make it in your kitchen and or even in a commercial kitchen. Such a highly technical thing. And it's such a large scale thing. So we had to really be ready to go large with it and really have a plan. So there were a ton of moving pieces on that. Hey, let's create a product. That took two years. Wow. So it was, yeah, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of just, you know, constantly cranking different things to, to get to where we wanted to get to. And for me, there were a, a bunch of times along the way where, you know, ingredients and co-packers were like, oh, you're never going to achieve the flavor you want or the texture you want or all these things that were really important to me. And it was a marvel and we were able to kind of crack that. And I think for me, that was the most important part where as a marketer, I know that good branding can only get you so far, but the product and what's inside is really the key. And for us, we were maniacally focused on the product. We could probably launched a year earlier than we did, but it just wasn't there. So once the product is there, then, you know, then the second part kicked in, which is how do we bring this to market? You know, what's important for us? How does the consumer discover it? Where do they discover it? What's the experience? What's the storytelling? And that's when we were able to bring in the marketing side of it. 
So it was, it was a really interesting journey, but it's really long and it, yeah. it is difficult. And there are so many, so many moving parts. How did really you fund it? You know, whatever profits we had out of the agency, we were pushing into the development of the product. You know, I think everyone sees these little articles and all these things about like all this VC funding as if yeah. money is just flying out there in the world. And you can just grab it. And it's not that easy, right? And especially yeah. for for people that have a service business going into a product or people are looking at you and they're like, well, why you? Why would I invest in your brand? Yeah. It's a special. Then when it's just an idea, it's very different than getting funding when you're in stores and, and then yeah. products and have proof in your funding. But for us, it's until we had a minimum viable product, it was really us investing in it. And then once we had the product done and we were starting to have those early conversations with retailers, we raised a small friends and family fund round. And from there, that was kind of the beginning. And we just continued reinvesting in the brand from that. Wow, that's awesome. How yeah. hard was it to get through that period of time before? Because I'm sure you were chomping at the bit to get to the, let's get this out there. Let's get people knowing about it. How hard was the beginning when you couldn't really market it or sell it into people because it wasn't ready? It's funny. I was talking about this yesterday. So I remember the day that we finished our last pilot run and actually this might have been the first production and I remember I left the facility at five in the morning after I spent 24 hours there and I call Ian on my drive and I just like start crying I'm like we're finally done we did it and he's like girl what are you talking we haven't even started and so it's so interesting that for me the long journey at the beginning was getting to the product it's part of its luck but it was also strategy right we created a product that for a category that truly needed the innovation. And so I think it wasn't super difficult for us to sell it into retailers and really start to get that momentum going because consumers were craving a solution for this problem. And so we, by just picking the right retailers and having the right packaging and all the things, that was a lot of the list. So for us, it was how do we formulate this product, make sure we have a sustainable supply chain and really start getting this product to the right retailers. And then the rest kind of just organically does its thing and hums along and you just spread the word and 10 people tell 10 people. But I think that's where the having the right product is super important. Yeah. And how did you guys go about the approach to retailers at the beginning before you had sold a single product? That's always a really important thing. And I think this is the thing I share with a lot of founders is really keep your retailer a part of the journey. I think people forget that who you're dealing with on the other side is is a human and they want to see the passion and the drive, but they also want to be a part of your journey and feel like they had a part in your success. And so we started to bring buyers in really early, kind of early iterations of the product. We would send it to them in like a, a, a undisclosed plastic bag. And we're like, what do you think? What's missing? What can you change? And then once we had a really well-tweaked version, it was a lot easier at that point because there was already so much investment from these buyers and these people and the excitement they had to bring it to market, to give it the right shelf space things, um, to really get behind you as a brand. So we really started that part of the journey early. And, and I think the other thing in retail, you know, online, I can launch something online tomorrow. You don't mm-hmm. need that. unlimited shelf space. The mm-hmm. internet's an open-ended thing. Retail is really difficult. And to get that shelf space, someone else needs to be kicked off. And there's, you know, it's a really long lead thing. And so for us, we just kept people a part of the journey. We kept sharing, you know, why we're doing this, what this mission is and, and how we're going to get there. And luckily it all kind of coalesced more together beautifully. I think that's really interesting. I want to pause on that for a second because I haven't heard anyone talk about getting retailers involved at the beginning of the journey, which I think is such a great piece of advice 
because they are invested in your success at that point when they're giving you advice and you're saying, I took your advice and here's what I did with it. What do you think? That's such a good idea. And I just don't think I've heard anybody really talk about that before. Like, what was your first distribution? Yeah. So we actually launched here locally in Westchester. There's mm-hmm. a seven, seven, maybe more stores now. There's a chain called Stu Leonard's. Yeah. And they have, I mean, by the way, they're like a Disneyland of grocery yes. walk through. It's a whole animatronics. It's interesting. We brought it there first. And what was interesting about them is you're sampling it all the time. You have yeah. so many people of all different demographics, of all different lifestyles coming through these aisles. And we were able to very quickly see what consumers were saying in terms of what claims they were looking for on packaging. Like that was a good trial run. But in terms of other retailers, we then launched into Wegmans, into Whole Foods, into Sprouts. Um, and we've really focused on natural channels to grow the brand because that's where we knew our consumer that was looking for a new cereal would definitely be. And so we really brought all of those buyers in pretty early into the process. That's so great. And what about, you talked a little bit about selling online. Talk about that a little bit. How are you guys doing from an e-com perspective? Yeah. So, you know, we are an omni-channel brand. We do beautifully on Amazon. We do well on our own website. But for me, I never looked at the brand as, and that was part of the strategy. Like no one goes to think, oh, hey, I'm looking for a healthier cereal. I'm craving cereal now, but I'll wait two weeks to get it delivered to my door. Our proposition wasn't where, you know, Casper was a cheaper mattress delivered to your door. Ours right. wasn't a cheaper cereal. It was an innovative solution and product. And we felt as consumers, I as a mom, and you know, need to feed my kid breakfast. I'm going to get up, get in my car, go to the grocery store, buy a product, come home and eat it. And I think we thought about it similarly. So I looked at online as a place to purchase it. And I think something we saw increasingly in a pandemic that no one predicted was that the increase in online shopping for grocery becomes a great destination. So we're in both places, but I think so much of having a tangible product on store shelves is a completely yes. different experience for a food and grocery item. So we've always focused there. So I think they both serve as a source of discovery, but I really see online as a great place for continuous repeat and ordering yeah. and, that's an and having it. it. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. What percentage of your business would you say is direct to consumer right now? I would say... Probably 30% of the business. But that's not, that's a healthy percentage though. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I like the fact that you're talking about discovery and people really being able to pick it up and look at it. I mean, I think that's pretty important too, especially with something you're going to feed your kids, like your little kids. And I think that's the interesting thing about Omnichannel is I don't necessarily always know where the consumer began their journey. Yeah. I don't know if they bought it, you know, at Whole Foods and decided to go to my website and buy a six pack or a variety on Amazon, or they started on Amazon, but then saw it at their Whole Foods and continued to choose to, to purchase it there. I think the thing we look for is just constant healthy growth for the brand overall and within all of your own channels. But I think that's also the difficult part of an omni-channel business is you're not able to kind of pinpoint and study yeah. that consumer in their lifetime. What do you wish for? Like, where do you want to see this brand and relative to where you are now, where would you like to be in three years, five years? Yeah, I think the thing, you know, we always work towards is how do we create, there's so much invested in this from us, right? It's three wishes. It's about the wishing grads. It's my face is literally on the back of the box. And so I really want to create a household name brand. And we know that any good study will show you that it, it takes seven years for a product to become a household name. So we're still really early on in that journey, you know, almost three years in. But for me, I would love to be a household brands on continuing to grow on tables in the United States. And I think another thing for us is 
three wishes wasn't just you know, chick the O's or healthy O's. It was how do we create a platform brand that can gain the consumer's trust and whatever we choose to innovate and bring to them next, same excitement and love for the product that they had to the cereal continues in all these other verticals. I think that's something that's really important to us as well as continuing this mission of delicious tasting, actually healthy food. It's an interesting topic because I talk to so many better for you brands and you know, the space is so crowded with better for you brands right now. So how do you really differentiate when the consumer is a little confused and the big brands are adding to the confusion and then there are a whole bunch of new better for you brands that are all somewhere on the spectrum of better for you, but there's a wide spectrum. How do you really differentiate? I think consumers have just gotten really, really smart in in a way that we haven't seen it before. So whether it's the power of social media or reviews, or I think it's just when people know what to look for now and they know what ingredients mean, what these macros mean, how these things can affect your body, you know, what claims are important, what claims are not important. Mm -hmm. And I think above all, taste. And the thing we've seen for us is we've just focused on creating and delivering a great product that sticks to our mission. I think so many people get enticed by so many different things. We outlined a thing for us, it was create a truly better for you product in a complete macro and nutrition channel sense. And then deliver an actually delicious product. And if I, I think if we continue those two, I don't have to worry about the rest of the me twos that will come along. It's focus on the mission that you set out to kind of accomplish and solve. So what about the challenges for you? Like what has been your biggest challenge along the way? Or what are you facing right now that feels like, you know, I'm not saying anything's impossible, but what are the things just feel hard? There's a challenge every minute of this journey, right? And I think, you know, when we launched, it was, hey, we're a new brand and we were demoing in stores. And now with the pandemic that happened last one half, like thousand years or a hundred years ago, whatever it was. So like, it's always difficult. And so for us, when that happened, it was how do we bring demoing when you can't do demoing anymore? And how do we get creative there, right? And so that time, and this was like a really fun one, but everybody was doing drive-through COVID tests and we have a U-shaped driveway. And Ian turned to me and goes, well, what if we did a drive-through taste test? And even if it's our local community, even if two people showed up, someone tried our cereal. And so we decided to do it, masked up, tongues into a sample cup. Our driveway was just humming with cars. And that's amazing. That, and it was great. And then that story was picked up by our local news that went to Fox News eventually. And we had a couple minute hit on national TV when everyone was watching TV in the heat of a pandemic about, you know, what a small brand is doing to drive trial and awareness. And that was our biggest sales day in company history. So I think it's making lemons out of lemonade, right? And so for Mm -hmm. us, if it was, you can't demo, how do you solve that? This was our solution. You know, supply chain has been a really weird function. The thing everyone talks about, right? Rising inflation, supply chain. For us, when that was the problem, the first thing I did was made sure we were buttoned up on that side. So anywhere that we can kind of make sure we're getting ahead of things, I think that's a big thing. And then most importantly, the agency taught us this is to be nimble. And if we're seeing something's not working, don't sit there, cross your fingers and hope it's going to change. Get up, turn, keep going. And and that's just been our saving grace the whole time. I think that's an interesting thing because I do think you probably have had to pivot more often than most people have just being in the agency world, right? Things change all the time and you've got to really quickly address issues. I love how you talked about moving fast. I think that's hard. There are so many lessons. I mean, one easy lesson is you present a plethora of ideas to a client 
and they could kill them all. And so whether that's you know, similar with a buyer or a consumer, you know, not everyone's going to like the idea you have. Similar to not everyone's going to love your product or you know, doing things on quick timelines or, you know, same way. I think the other really funny thing is when you think about our client when it was agency side and your client then becomes the buyer or your client becomes the consumer. Yeah. And a funny analogy we always do is like, you know, it's great on the agency side when you get a project, but it's even better when you get a retainer and it's similar with product, right? It's great when someone will trial the product or repeat that goal. And yeah. so there are funny analogies we constantly do, but there are so many lessons. I think the fundamental is it's business. And whether you're building a product or you're building an agency, as long as you lead with wise business decisions and, you know, kind of stick to the core mission that you set out to do, whether it's build and scale an agency or build and scale a product. So great. It's so inspiring. I do have a question. You're not making it sound easy, but it feels like you just kind of know how to push through and it doesn't seem like things really kind of derail you, but what have you ever felt like, I don't know if this, we're going to make it with this thing. I don't know if it's worth it. I feel like if, if I let that attitude ever get to me, then I would have never gotten to this point. I think you have to develop a thick skin. Entrepreneurship in general is a roller coaster. It is the highs are high and the lows are low. They are low in their depth. And I think having an agency prepared us, right? There are days when you get a phone call from a client that you don't want to have, or there are days when, you know, you're setting out to raise money and you 10 phone calls and each one of them passes on the investment. So and there was a point when we were raising money that I remember I turned to Ian. I was like, I can't do this. I need to take a break on these phone calls. Like it is tough. It is disheartening. Every no stings. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know what? You have two days, you sulk. And you're like, all right, my time of sulking is done. I got to get up. I got to do what I have to do. And I have to continue trekking forward. And that's what you do. And I think if you don't develop that thick skin and it's so fun because you know just like the circle of founders in the natural it's a small industry and you meet all of them you realize that that little something special that all of you have in common is that you just gotta be able to move past through a lot of things have that thick skin and just stick to the the thing that made you light up inside and do what you do so yeah I mean there's millions million things that go wrong a day a truck gets stuck like if you let all of that get to you you'd have a problem so it makes it sound easy when I'm like, oh, you just start a cereal brand. None of it's easy. really stressful. It feels like, you know, there's always something at stake. There's always something that you have to figure out and a problem you have to solve. But as long as you have the right attitude and you realize that, hey, like, you know, if it'll go wrong, it'll go wrong and you can't let that affect you, but you have to find that solution. As long as that's the attitude, I think you're fine. Awesome. That's awesome. I talked to Scott Jensen, who is the CEO of Rhythm Superfoods, and he had started Stubbs Barbecue Sauce a long time ago. And he was telling me when he mentors people, he says, I'm a never, ever, ever give up guy. Like I will tell you to never, ever give up. And so if you're not that kind of person, maybe this isn't the place for you to be, because if you give up when things get hard, you're going to give up really early on. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Interesting. So great. Well, this is so great. I really appreciate such a fun interview for me, especially and getting to your energy is amazing. So I can see how you can get people to buy in because I think it's really cool. Any last words of advice you would want, really want to make sure people have as they're thinking about doing this or they're at a place where it is hard? It's always like the animal I always like giggle at and laugh at is the duck, right? Everything's so still above water, but like their feet are going crazy and pedaling really fast to stay afloat and swim. And so it's, 
you got to have that that mentality. But for me, you know, there was a ton of times on this journey where someone said something is impossible, whether it was product or a million other things or suppliers. But as long as you know that there's a real problem, you're actually solving something that there's a need for, and this is your dream, like don't take those notes, keep going, find a way to turn those notes into yes, polite persistence. Like there's a million little things you could do to just, you know, really achieve what you want to achieve, but it's cliche as it is. It's like, it's a never give up. Eventually it pays off. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.